Well, there's a, an amusing story on prayer that comes from Bible teacher and author F.B. Meyer. While crossing the Atlantic on a ship, Meyer was asked to speak to the first-class passengers. At the, ca- at the captain's request, he spoke on answered prayer. An agnostic was present at the service, though, and some of his friends asked him what he thought of the sermon, and he said, I didn't believe a word of it. Later that afternoon, Meyer went on down to the bottom to speak to the fourth-class passengers. The same message, some people came along with him to hear it again. The agnostic went along as well, claiming he just wanted to hear what the babbler had to say. Before getting to the service, though, the agnostic took a couple of oranges and just stuffed them in his pocket for later. And as he was en route to the second service, he saw an elderly woman sitting on her deck chair on the boat, asleep. Her arms were outstretched. Her hands were open. She had just fallen asleep that way. I think that would be kind of funny if he took his two oranges and just placed them in her hands, that she'd wake up to quite a confusing surprise. So that's what he did. After the meeting, the agnostic came back, and he saw this woman happily eating one of the oranges. And he said with a bit of a smirk on his face, you seem to be enjoying that orange. And she said, yes, sir, my, my father is very good to me. And he said, your father, he, he can't surely still be alive. And she replied, he's very much alive. And the agnostic asked, what do you mean? And she explained, I'll tell you, sir, I've been seasick for days. So I was asking God to somehow send me an orange. And I somehow fell asleep while I was praying. And when I woke up, the Lord had sent me not one orange, but two. (laughs) Agnostic was speechless at this woman's confirmation of Meyer's sermon. And apparently for Meyer, this is a true story. And later the man put his trust in Christ. But the short story highlights the power and the value of prayer. It shows how God uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his will on earth, even in unexpected ways, and he still does. And so I want to speak to you this morning on the power of prayer. Now first, give you a quick word of context. We're normally going through Philippians here on Sunday mornings, and we're, we're almost done. We took a break in October to go through the Protestant Reformation, but that's, that's done now too. And so we're due to, to come back, pick up Philippians, and finish it. But at the same time, like Oliver mentioned, starting today, we're, we're rolling out some, some exciting changes and really additions to the prayer ministry here at this church. And so with this in mind, I, I simply felt compelled to preach on prayer. Really as simple as that. I felt burdened to, as a shepherd, make sure we're, we're stressing prayer as a church. Whether you can make it to our prayer meetings or not, I felt it was a fitting time to issue a reminder, an exhortation from God's word on the priority of prayer. So today we've got a one-stop, one-shot message on prayer. Prayer is a subject we hear a lot of, but never enough of, because I don't think any Christian can truly say they pray enough. Could you see that? Would, Would you say that? Do you pray enough? Most, I imagine, would would say no. Others would say no, but in their heart, they really mean, I don't pray at all. Save for a a passing prayer at mealtime, prayer is essentially absent from their life. The chief illness of the church today has to be a lack of prayer. Spurgeon said, neglect of private prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. So what about you? In the past week, did you pray every single day, once a day? Once at all. Did you find that days go by and you don't even think to pray? 
But then someone gets sick or something bad happens and you pray a whole bunch. It shouldn't be that way. We know that. Some of you may already be feeling convicted. And, and if so, that's okay. That, that's a good thing. Accept that conviction in your heart and use it to change. Because let's face it, anytime you talk about prayer, it's going to be easy conviction because in our modern busy lives, prayer is often neglected. And all of us can fall prey to prayerlessness as there's so many distractions. There's so many other things you can do with your time. I mean, pick up your phone. You have like an infinite library of entertainment just with you at all times now. I know we're done talking about the Reformation, but Martin Luther, he woke up early one morning and realized he had so much to do that day that he decided he was going to spend an extra hour in prayer. That sounds crazy. Like, if you have that much to do, shouldn't you just, like, get to work? That's so backwards from our American way of thinking. It just, it sounds crazy. How can you get anything done if you're going to spend an extra hour praying? And notice, he didn't say he was praying for one hour. It was an extra hour. He was bumping up his normal prayer time from two hours to three hours. It, it just sounds insane to the modern mind. And, and we ask, you know, who, who does that? And the answer is someone who understands the power of prayer the value of prayer, and the priority of prayer in the life of a Christian. When you hear stories like that, or even stories from Scripture, how our Lord would spend an entire night in prayer, it does convict, and rightly so. I bet you would affirm that you need to pray more. But how much? There is, in reality, no command in Scripture telling us how long we're supposed to pray, like one hour or two hours, or there's no command like that. In fact, Jesus himself rebuked the Pharisees for their needlessly long prayers. They prayed a long time just for the sake of appearance. So that doesn't make you righteous because you prayed a long time. What matters most is the heart, that you have a desire to commune with the Lord. And if you do, that will or you will express that desire in prayer all the time. In fact, the only real command we do have when it comes to how long we should be praying is 1 Thessalonians 517, which says, pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. Of course, that, that doesn't mean pray 24-7 that, such that you're not doing anything else. You're not, you're not eating. You're not sleeping. You're just praying and nonstop. That's not quite what it means. But the emphasis is clear on the persistence of prayer. That we're to live in an atmosphere of prayer such that praying to God is about as regular and natural as breathing. You walk with God so closely that you just you find yourself talking to God all the time. It's just an open channel, open two-way radio, and you're just communing with your Heavenly Father throughout the day. This should be the picture of prayer in our lives, not some legalistic accounting of hours and minutes where there's guilt involved. It should just pray because you want to talk to your Father who is in heaven. And so you really need to get right the heart of prayer which itself is is really just a heart for the Lord and to grow in your heart for the Lord. That's the secret behind men and women of prayer. You you hear these stories, you hear examples of people who are so devoted to prayer and what, what makes them that way, what's their secret, what's their trick. And There's no trick, it's just that they want to spend time communing with their Father in Heaven, and so they do. That's just, that's it. Their, their, their desires are purified, and so their actions are uh, reflect their pure as well. And their spiritual lives, as a result, are constantly energized 
They derive from such prayer time a, a spiritual vitality. And the longer you sit next to a, a raging fireplace, the warmer you become. But the longer you leave a, a piece of iron in a furnace, the more it glows. And likewise, the longer you spend time genuinely communing with God, the more on fire you become in your Christian walk. But if you find that your walk has become lukewarm or even just chilly, I would bet that prayer is a missing ingredient from your life. You're not drawing near to the fire and wondering why you're cold. And such prayerlessness is a real problem in the church abroad and throughout the world, and and this is why I'm convinced we we always need more of God's help from God's word on the need to pray. We need God's word to convict our hearts and instruct our minds on prayer. We, We need this. I need this. We all need this. The good news is that even if you have cooled down in your walk with the Lord, you can heat right back up today. Just draw near to the fire. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you, James tells us. And so just learn to pray. You can start today and learn to pray. Not not necessarily how to pray, just just to pray. In fact, that reminds me of a passage in Luke 11. I'll read it to you, Luke 11, verse 1. It says, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Here you've got the disciples interacting with Jesus, and they're asking him to teach them how to pray. Remember, Jesus was their rabbi, their teacher. And so like the disciples of John the Baptist, they're asking Jesus, like, hey, how should we pray as your disciples? Teach us how. And that's good. That's fine. It's an instructive passage in its own right. But at the same time, part of me just wishes they had cut their request short. Part of me wishes they asked a different question, namely, Lord, teach us to pray. And just stop right there. Just, just teach us to pray. Teach us to be men of prayer. Because that's, I think, what, what we need. What we all need today, what we all need to be asking, Lord, just teach us to pray. The how, it will really take care of itself soon enough. I mean, you, you'll figure it out. You're, you're talking to God. You're thanking him, you're praising him, you're letting your request be made known, and so forth. But we just need to pray. And that's what I want to focus on this morning, the need for prayer. I want us to explore God's word and be convicted and challenged and encouraged on the value of prayer. That we might pray because we want to pray more, that we just we want to commune with God, we see the value of this time. It's not some tradition. It's not a meaningless exercise. not some guilt-driven activity we're supposed to do as good Christians. It's something we, we want to do and we see why. So let's see from the Lord our, himself the value and priority of prayer. Let's just collectively sit at the feet of Jesus, if you will, and learn from him to pray. And that's what we're going to do. There's no special three-point outline or anything like that this morning. I just want us to learn from our Lord to pray, literally, from Jesus, who was, in his earthly ministry, a man of prayer. And so to help with this, we're going to turn now to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be exclusively in the Gospel of Luke this morning. In case you didn't know, Luke 
goes to extra effort to put the prayer life of Jesus on display. In Luke, we see Jesus to be a true man among men. And this true man is a praying man. Although retaining his divine nature, Luke highlights how Jesus lived according to his true humanity. And and accordingly, we can truly learn from Jesus to pray as our genuine example. And that's what we're going to do this at this time. We're going to just turn to Luke's gospel and spend time beholding that the marvelous example of our Lord himself in prayer, that we might see the value of prayer in our own lives as we follow him. So turn to Luke chapter 3. That's where we'll start. If you haven't already, grab a Bible or a pew Bible and, and turn to Luke chapter 3. A good place to begin is the beginning of Christ's ministry, and not surprisingly, we find that Christ's ministry begins with prayer. Luke 3, look at verses 21 and 22. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized, and while he was praying, Luke is the only one that records that during the baptism, Jesus was also praying. While he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved son. and you, I am well pleased. Like Tony was alluding to, we, we can normally think of prayer like one-way communication. Us just talking to God. But in this case, God the Father audibly responded to Christ as he prayed. Because there is someone on the other end of the line. What you have to realize, though, is no one understood better the essence of prayer than Jesus. He he got it. And what is it? What is the essence of prayer? At its core, it's, it's just communion with God. It's fellowship with the triune God. That's the, the essence of prayer. Jesus knew a thing or two about such fellowship, and that's why he prayed. Until we're in heaven redeemed, we go to heaven, we're in God's presence. And so that point, prayer is our chief expression of our fellowship with God, which we have right now. We're saved, we're redeemed, but we're not yet in his full presence. Yet God has given us prayer as a privilege that we might walk with him and commune with him even now, even while we're still on earth. That's what Jesus did. And so naturally, such prayer continues to characterize Christ all throughout his life and ministry. This is why no matter how busy Jesus got with all of his earthly activities, he always found time to pray. Even as he was ministering to people and his ministry was literally life-saving, he would still slip away to pray alone. Only he wasn't really alone. He was with his father. Turn to Luke chapter 5. Look at verse 15 and 16. It says, but the news about him was spreading even farther. Large crowds were gathering to hear him and and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. There's several occasions where Jesus left the crowds so he could go pray. And we really see his priorities here. Obviously his ministry, he was healing people, saving people, but... There were times when Jesus had to say no 
to everything else so that he could say yes to prayer, to spend time with his father in prayer. Maybe that's something you need to learn as well, to say no to some things that you can say yes to prayer. No to a little work, a little play, a little sleep, a little TV that you can say yes to prayer. Luke 5 here mentions Jesus slipping away to the wilderness to pray. Don't necessarily think of like a barren wasteland or the desert. It just really connotes at the place where no one is. It's a place of isolation. That's the wilderness. And that's the point. You're alone with God. Just you and God in private prayer. And this was Christ's habit. The verb for slip away here is a present active participle. just means this is a habitual action, something he did often, prioritizing that time with God. Luke 9.18 says Jesus was praying alone. He does it again. Luke 6.12, you can look there. He says that it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. So many examples. And just reflecting on these verses, when was the last time you were truly alone with God? When was the last time you escaped to be with God? And is that your habit? We're all so busy with our modern lives. Our lives are surrounded by distractions and duties, responsibilities and activities. There's always something going on, always something you could do with your time. But realize, like the Lord, the importance of saying no to everything that you can spend time alone in prayer. There's a balance here where not even Jesus came and lived in a monastery denying all the duties of the world that he could just pray all day. He didn't do that. But at the same time, he didn't work so hard so that he neglected prayer with God and and escaping to pray with God. There were times where Jesus, if he stuck around, he could have healed more people, but he didn't. He slipped away to pray. That says a lot about the value of prayer. I I think sometimes... We do wrong by multitasking prayer. I mean, we're just so busy we can't actually carve out time in our schedules to devote to nothing but prayer. We've got to do something productive, right? If we're going to pray, at least going to do something else at the same time. So if you pray, you, you squeeze it into some other activity like driving or showering or maybe commercial breaks or something like that. Our best, most mentally alert times go to work and friends and family and entertainment, whatever, and we we give God just the leftovers or the scraps or whatever is remaining. And look, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray and do other things. Like, I pray and drive. There's nothing wrong with praying and doing other things. That's not the point. The point I'm making is just God deserves our best times. You give God the first fruits of your time. Then let everything else fight and battle for whatever is remaining of your schedule. Don't let prayer try and squeeze its way in. You start with the word and prayer, your time with God, and let everything else figure itself out. Also, learn from Jesus here, and what we've seen so far, the, the energizing nature of prayer. Jesus knew the pressures of the world, everyone depending on him, looking to him, but he still took time to pray. Why? Because he knew he couldn't face all those pressures without God's strength. It's like saying you're too busy to eat. There's some people like that. My mom's like that. 
and you don't last long. If you're too busy to eat, like you're not going to last too much longer in your work if you don't stop and eat. And that's really like people saying, I'm, I'm too busy to pray. Okay, well, you're, you're not going to last as long as you think without God's help. And even Jesus needed to commune with God and recharge, so to speak. And again, yes, Jesus had a divine nature. But remember, on earth, he was living in the power of his humanity. He wasn't faking it or cheating. And so he needed to pray to derive spiritual strength for his mission. Prayer was his sustenance, his daily bread that he relied on. And the same goes for us. Prayer is one of our main sources of spiritual vitality. It's one of the primary channels of God's grace to us that as we pray, God gives us the strength we need to do everything he calls us to do. I mean, do you, do you really think you can do all that God calls you to do? All that you've got going on in life, you can do that in your own strength? Have you not learned the lesson yet? That's not enough. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Your strength doesn't cut it. I hope you've learned that by now. I mean, do you really think you can serve God, fight sin, follow Christ, and then live the rest of your life in your own strength, by your own power? See, this is the hidden hubris behind prayerlessness. For some people, there's a pride, a self-reliance that runs under the surface, and that's why they don't pray. They don't think they need to pray. They're they're self-reliant. They can do it by themselves. But hopefully you'll you'll be humble, or, or God might humble you, and you realize at some point, usually when a disaster happens, you can't, and then you will pray. But realize you need God's help Every day, strength to live and therefore pray. This is why Martin Luther prayed that extra hour on his busiest day, because he he needed extra help and extra strength. It's just faith. And what is faith? It's the opposite of self-reliance. It is God-reliance. That's faith. And that's what you're doing when you pray. You are actively relying on God for, for all that you need, for all of your needs. We're still called to live and work and strive. So no, the application of this message is not to enroll in the next monastery and pray 24-7. Christ didn't do that. The apostles didn't do that. We have work to do, physical and spiritual. That's fine. But not apart from God's power. Never apart from his grace, his strength. We can't. We're not supposed to. Why would you want to? And yet we access that through prayer. So if you feel powerless or drained in your Christian life? I bet this is why, one of the reasons at least. If you feel spiritually starving, I bet you don't have a much of a prayer life going on. You need to draw near to the sun that your soul may feed off of his heat. If you find your, your soul lukewarm, well, hey, be convicted, but then be encouraged. You just draw near and you'll heat right back up today. Now, getting back to Luke, we find Jesus prayed when he was the busiest because he needed God's strength. He also prayed when he had the biggest decisions coming up because he needed God's guidance. Look again at Luke 6.12. It says, It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. So Jesus, he's escaping again to pray for a prayer all-nighter. Now, I don't know about you, I've, I've pulled many an all-nighter back in college and seminary and 
so forth. And if you've ever pulled a true all-nighter, I mean zero sleep, true all-nighter. They're hard enough as it is. They're harder without coffee. And it's got to be impossible if all you're doing is praying. That you're just going to fall asleep. But that's what Jesus did. Why? Well, because the following day, come morning, he was going to make one of the biggest decisions of his ministry. A decision that would impact all of church history. The following day, he was going to choose the 12 apostles. Look at the next verse, verse 13. It says, And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. He had more than 12 people following him around, but these became the 12. So look, it's a pretty big decision. Christ was about to lay the foundation of the church, him being the cornerstone, the apostles being really the foundation. 2,000 years of church history come down to this. And so, humanly speaking, you pick the wrong guys. The church is doomed. So anyway, it's, it's a big decision. And look, Christ, in his divine nature, he, he knows the end of the story. But again, he's living in his humanity. And so while on earth, he relied on the Father for wisdom, for guidance. And therefore, he took this decision to the Lord in prayer. And he prayed all night because it was a big decision. His prayer wasn't a sham. It wasn't just for show. Rather, he was placing himself in humble submission to the will and plan of God. And we're to do the same. May we learn to likewise pray in humble submission to the will of God, seeking him diligently for, for wisdom in life. Prayer is actually one of the primary means God uses to shape us and to mold our will to be in line with his will. And so may we follow Christ's example here. It's also worth pointing out that Jesus prayed for a substantial time, namely all night long. That is not saying we must pray all nighters or pray a whole night, but at the same time, when was the last time you sacrificed something like maybe sleep so that you could pray? Especially when substantial decisions come or substantial trials come, you should respond with substantial prayers. Long prayers are not in themselves more righteous, like we said. But the point is, Jesus was persistent in prayer. That, that's what really matters, being persistent in prayer. In fact, Jesus taught on that. Turn to Luke 11. He straight up, straight up taught this. At the beginning of Luke 11, he teaches us how to pray by the Lord's Prayer. That's great teaching, but not our focus right now. So look down at verse 5. Luke 11, verse 5. And then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend who goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a long journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8. But I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. There's a simple and obvious point to this parable, namely the efficacy of persistent prayer. God wants us to persist in prayer. 
to, so to speak, wrestle with him in prayer like Jacob. Why? And because it shows our faith. It reveals our faith. It shows that we really believe God is our only hope. We have nowhere else to turn. We're just going to keep going to God and asking. And it shows we really believe in him and we're really trusting him to help us. And that type of childlike, humble dependence on God pleases God. God is our good heavenly father. And he wants us to come to him. But if you don't, what, what do you expect? If you don't ask and then you don't receive, well, what do you, what do you expect? Like Jesus, take it all to the Lord in prayer. Especially in rough times. Look, when times are bad and that's only that's the only time you pray, that that's a problem. That doesn't mean you shouldn't pray when times are bad. You, you should. Again, all the more. Jesus taught on this as well. Turn to Luke 18 now. Another parable. Luke 18. And look at verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So we're already told that this is about in verse 1. To show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Verse 2, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, verse 6, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There's a lot going in here, or on here rather, but uh, the simple point is is verse 1. It's telling us, the point, we are to pray at all times and not lose heart, even in the midst of adversity, especially in the midst of adversity, or injustice, or trouble, or trials, or suffering. We are to pray and trust God and cry out, and he's not an unrighteous judge. He's a God of righteousness, and justice, and love, and he will deliver his people. God is a righteous judge, and in the end, he will right all wrongs. We need not fear. And in the meantime, he will strengthen us to endure whatever comes through prayer. But again, if you, if you don't pray, what do you expect? Now, just to add on to this, there's also a spiritual warfare dimension to prayer. Elsewhere, Christ connects the dots between prayer and spiritual warfare. He says in Luke 21, verse 36, he says, But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now that passage, to be clear, it's on the tribulation. He's teaching about the future tribulation time. But I think there's a clear application of that verse to all believers in all ages. 
We are to always pray and always be on the alert, seeking God's strength to stand firm at all times. Yeah, that future tribulation will be one of intense spiritual warfare, so they they had better pray. But we face our own spiritual warfare. Even now, our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking some to devour, Peter tells us. But then he says, but resist him firm in your faith. That's how you resist him, firm in your faith. Do you think that's going to include prayer? I think it will. Christ understood that. Luke 22, verse 31. This is right before the cross now, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. It's only found in Luke's gospel, Luke's emphasis on prayer. Even back then, Satan was trying to take down Christ's disciples. He still is. And back then, Jesus was going to stand in the gap to intercede for his disciples. And the good news is, he still does. He's still our intercessor, our advocate, our defender. And so we need not fear, but we do need to pray that we can stand firm in the face of such spiritual trials and temptations. Christ himself had to face this. Of course, Jesus had no sin or sin nature, but he could face external temptation. And that happened on the eve of the cross as the cup of God's wrath loomed over Christ. So the pressure mounted on his soul, causing him intense anguish. And so as he enters the Garden of Gethsemane, how does he respond to the anguish of this looming trial and suffering? Look at Luke 22, verse 40. To start, it says, when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So first he tells his disciples to pray that they may evade temptation. Next, what does he do? Well, he prays. Why? Well, why do you think? For the same reason, he is going to overcome temptation. And he needed strength. Verse 41 says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. We don't have time to get into the theology of his Gethsemane prayer. I've preached on it before. If you're curious, you can find it. But just notice Christ's response to the temptation and the pressure mounting on him. His response was prayer. He prayed fervently, passionately for strength, submitting himself to God's perfect will. And how did God respond to the prayer? God did respond, and his response was not to deliver Jesus from the cross. Obviously, that had to happen. But God did give Christ all the strength he needed to face the trial and the suffering with strength and courage. And God does the same for us. We don't have any blank check promise that we'll be delivered from our every trial and tribulation. But God does promise that as we go to him and pray, he will give us all the strength we need to endure. And that's the greater promise. Verse 44, 
And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And with this, we just see the contrast between the Lord and us. And this is all of us. We're we're the disciples here. We all are. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. But Christ found strength and endured. How? Because he prayed. Despite the anguish of his soul and the pressure that threatened to crush him, Jesus prayed, was strengthened by the Lord. And the result after that was what? Peace. Perfect peace. After praying, it's after the garden. Christ doesn't have this anguish of soul during trial, before the Romans, before the Jews. He's he's perfect peace at that point. Where'd that come from? It came from the prayers of Gethsemane. And so after this point, he's able to be arrested, stand trial, face the cross, and endure the cup of God's wrath, all with peace and strength and courage. Why? Because he prayed. This is the power of prayer. And so what are you facing? What trials or temptations are you going through? And are life's difficulties making you anxious, fearful, sad, depressed? Listen, that's the natural response. But you don't want the natural response. You want the supernatural response to life's trials. And that's, what's the supernatural response? Peace, patience, love power, courage, endurance. But the supernatural response, well, that that comes through prayer. And also, are you struggling with sin? Have you entered temptation and and fallen? You have a sin in your life, and and you want to get over it, but you keep falling into the pit over and over again. You can't overcome. You don't know why. Well, have have you prayed about it? I mean, like, have you really wrestled with God in prayer? fervently asking him to just strengthen you to do the right thing, to endure, to overcome the temptation? Or do you think your own power is enough? If we prayed with just one-tenth the fervency of Christ, I think we could overcome all things. From trials to temptations, may we learn to pray like Christ. Well, Christ's ministry started with prayer, and it ends with prayer. Even on the cross, at his darkest hour, he's, he's praying to God. In fact, his very last words come in the form of a prayer. Luke 23, verse 46. Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. really says it all. His last breath alive before the resurrection on earth was a prayer. He, he lived and died prayer. And we know Christ didn't live and die just to give us an example. He died on the cross to make atonement for sins. We know that. But his life and death certainly were examples for us to follow. And this includes his life of prayer. So learn from the prayers of Christ in Luke the value of prayer. Why did he pray? Fellowship with God, spiritual strength, peace, joy, comfort, and the power to overcome all trials and temptations. God wants his people 
to be characterized by that same prayer. You know, back in Luke 19, Jesus was cleansing the temple because the Jews had turned it into a marketplace. You remember that? Do you remember what Jesus said? Luke 19:46. He said to them, It is written, And my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. God's people were always supposed to be characterized by prayer. And nothing's changed. The same goes for the church. The church is a new covenant people of God. We have no brick and mortar temple. Rather, we, God's people, are the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And God similarly wants this temple, so to speak, to be a house of prayer, to be characterized by prayer. And local churches, therefore, should be little outposts of prayer. And this is a life of discipleship. Now, I said before, Jesus often prayed alone, but not always. Sometimes he took the disciples along to pray with him. Why did he do that? I think to show them firsthand the value and importance of prayer, to leave behind a legacy of prayer. And so Luke 9, 28, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain to pray before the transfiguration. In Luke 22, we just read Gethsemane. He takes Peter, James, and John with him to pray. Remember, they asked Jesus in Luke 11, Lord, teach us to pray. And he obliged. He answered that request throughout his ministry. He taught them to pray. And in turn, they learned a lesson. Did you know that? The disciples, this is one lesson they learned and they got right. If you consider now the book of Acts, which we won't turn to, but just just to consider, because Luke wrote Luke, he also wrote Acts. It's really just part two. And in the Gospel of Luke, Luke shows Jesus to be a man of prayer, special emphasis. And in Acts, Luke shows the disciples now to be men of prayer. They, They learned this lesson. They learned to pray. And so in Acts chapter one, Jesus, he's ascended into heaven. The disciples are left behind. What do they do? Acts 1.14 says, These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Later, it comes time to choose a new apostle to replace Judas. Big decision. What do they do about it? They pray. Acts 1.24. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes. The church formally begins. You have all these new disciples, thousands, What do they do? Well, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to communion, and to prayer. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, we see James and John, or I'm sorry, Peter and John, and they're going up to the temple. Why? To pray. They're going up to the temple to pray. Later in chapter 4, they get arrested and beaten for preaching Christ. Now they face their own great trial and tribulation. How do they respond? With fear? Nope. Perfect peace. Why? They prayed. They prayed and they were delivered. The pattern is clear and it continues from Jesus to his disciples. A legacy of prayer in Christ and in those who claim to follow Christ. And now that's us. We're the disciples now. Will we learn that lesson and continue in the legacy, a life of a disciple to follow Jesus? What he said, follow me, right? And so now we are disciples, we are to follow him. And this most definitely includes prayer. 
The whole point of the sermon has simply been for us to ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And through God's word, we should all be convicted of our constant need for prayer. If you're sitting out there and you feel this stark lack of prayer in your life, well, again, you know, share in the conviction. But then be encouraged to draw near. You can start today. You can seek the Lord anew with renewed vigor and passion today. Begin with a prayer for God to enlarge your heart, to give you more of a heart that loves him, that wants to commune with him alone, to fellowship with him. And then you will pray because you want to. You also may need to take some steps to draw nearer to the fire, his fire, that it may warm your heart and reinvigorate your passion, burn away other things in life that, that don't matter. This may involve some discipline at first. You might need to discipline yourself to say no to some other things that you can say yes to prayer. Make it a priority with your time. Hey, it may be good for you to pray with others for accountability, for extra fellowship. You now have two opportunities to pray with this church, Sundays at 9, Mondays at 7.30. But even if you can't make those times, you, you still have 168 hours in a week, 10,080 minutes in a week. So you have the time. I don't have time is the lamest excuse for not praying that there ever was. You just need to grow in your desire and passion for the Lord, for all he's done for us, and then you will grow in prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Just start there. Make that your prayer from a pure heart. And God will by no means cast you out. He will never turn away from such a prayer offered in faith. So just, just go to him. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. And make your prayer, Lord, teach me to pray. Let's pray. Our great God and, and Father in heaven, you are our loving Heavenly Father. You care about us. So much so that you sent your Son Christ, not just to live a perfect life, but to die a perfect death, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, that we might be reconciled, saved, and brought near. We thank you, Lord, for this work and, and in adopting us through our faith in Christ. We're now your children, you're our Father, and, and you, you, you love us, you care for us. You want us to come to you, expressing our faith, our dependence, and prayer. And I pray through your word this morning, we all share in, in this conviction. We all need to pray more, and, and I pray you help us with that, Lord. Our prayer now, together now, collectively, is that you, you just light our hearts on fire again. For many, like they once were, growing us in our desire for you and your ways. You're, you're a good God. You've given us everything in Christ. You've done so much for us. We are richly blessed and eternally secure. And I pray you give us a greater vision of heaven when we'll be face to face with you and that we, we need to realize we can taste that now in prayer. That is our face time with you, Lord. Again, just convict our hearts of these things, purify our desires, grow us in prayer, that this church and, and all your people would be uh, characterized by by prayer, in the same way Christ was, that it might result in, in strength and power, peace and joy, and, and endurance in all things. This is the power of prayer. May it be true in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.